Hi, I'm Brandon Rollins. I make board games. I help people make board games. And I currently have Highways and Byways on Kickstarter. Welcome to Legends of Tabletop. Thank you, sir. The bumper right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's our, all the pressure was on. <laughs> yeah. well, welcome, everybody. We're uh, episode 140 tonight. We've got Brandon Rollins on again. Brandon also did uh, Warco about a year and a half ago. Uh, mm -hmm. Very cool Kickstarter for that. Successfully funded and shipped. Um, while Brandon is retweeting, I am going to pimp our coffee out. I'm actually drinking it right now. I have my Philly mug from Dunkin' Donuts along with my Flyers t-shirt on because they won a super important game last night. Uh, not that anybody cares, but eh, it, was, it was good for me. Um, but the coffee is available. Uh, Neil has got awesome labels now for the, uh, for the bags. Uh, I have an order in. Hopefully it was roasted yesterday because I'm almost out. So uh, it'll be awesome. I'm looking forward to getting those bags in. So you can check that out. There's links in the show notes. Uh, you can also go to tinyurl.com forward slash legendary brew, and you can get your awesome coffee there. Shipping is free. And if you use code legends10, you're going to get 10% off your order. It's like he's giving it away. You got to try it. It's really good. So there you go. Pimping done. So, Brandon, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Well, I'm not doing too bad. I really so wish you... I had some of the coffee now. Oh, yeah. It's, I'm telling you, it's a medium roast. I don't know why you'd ever go light. It's a medium roast. It's nice. It's not as full and rich as the Night Owl blend, uh, which you could get at, at the regular site. Like, the link mm -hmm. for us is, like, back page kind of thing. Um, but it's but it's really good. Like, it's literally all I drink now. Mm. Coffee goes great with Kickstarter, I can tell you that. Which I say that actually drinking tea because I don't want caffeine at eight at eight, eight at night, but you know what I mean. Oh, see that doesn't affect me at all. I could drink a monster and just go to bed. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like my blood is like ninety percent caffeine at this point. Anyway, just pure, pure um, coffee at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, you need that. So you're you're not planning on sleeping, I guess, for like the next twenty five days or so. Oh no. Well. I mean, like, I, I am going to try and keep some semblance of a normal sleep schedule because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do better if I actually sleep normally through this. Now, Warco, that was a different story. That was just because I'd be like, I'd go to bed and I'd sit there thinking about the numbers. And now I'm just like, I have a plan for both outcomes at this point. Once I work my leads, once I do all the promotion I need to in a day, I'm like, okay, time to sleep, get up early, 530 or six o'clock, do it again. Mm -hmm. wash rinse and repeat right <laughs> pretty much i mean consistency matters more than burning yourself out all over one project you know yeah no for sure for sure um so you you did uh war co about a year and a half ago uh that's right. done that for a couple of years how was fulfillment everybody's got their thing was there any like bugaboos at the end of of the kickstarter wrapping up that everything's good the toughest thing with fulfillment is actually figuring it out beforehand. Like, um, it was all like finished it all on time. Just about everybody got their rewards. Couple of the packages dropped in the mail, resent them, dealt with that pretty quickly. The hardest thing was the initial research and the fact that I was moving out of my apartment in the same week that I was actually fulfilling a lot of those rewards. So I would have like a giant box of rewards that had to go out before I could, you know, put the rest <laughs> of the stuff in a U-Haul and move across town. Yeah, I, I remember you were moving at the time. You were like laying in boxes of work of cards. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like they just kind of sat on my living room floor for a couple of weeks. I mean, like we got them in plastic containers. We we got everything was sorted. I'm talking about me and my brother because we did the fulfillment for the U.S. Um, International was done by Games Quest just to make it customs friendly. We we did that. We did that ourselves, <laughs> and he helped me sort them. But all the packing and all that, I did that. He dropped him off at the post office while I was at work. 
That's cool. Hey, at least you got that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, fun fact, sending 100 sets of Warco costs 600 in American postage. So it's just kind <laughs> of wild to think about. That's uh, funny. Um, so what did you what did you take away from uh, your experience kickstarting Warco? Oh my goodness. There's so much of that. Like I, I literally have a blog where I just like peel apart that entire experience. It will take me longer to write that than it actually took to live through it and experience it. I, I mean like really month for month, year for year. But um, big stuff is, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you know this yet. A lot of people have heard this story, but it, it's one that I, I, that I tend to rehash quite but I got into because I was following a child act. I just wanted to, to run with something that I made as a kid. I was watching um, like Yu-Gi-Oh on TV. I tried to reverse engineer that game, put it in a box, pulled it out a few, like 11 years later, tried to kickstart that in February 16th, fell so hard on my face on that first campaign. Like... 1600 bucks on a $7,000 goal kind of kind of thing. Like I, I didn't know what I was doing. It was an unfinished project at a time when games were complete on there. Mm-hmm. So I learned you got to complete the project. You have to, you have to um, build an audience. That was a big one. I, you have to build an audience. Um, and, and, and I learned, I learned like what actually goes into doing that as well as um, just a lot of things about how the industry worked too. Right, because you 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 weren't a game designer by trade. It was just something like, "Hey, I have this idea for this thing," and you know, you kind of worked on and off a little bit at a time. You're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump and I'm gonna sell this. Like, why not? Like, let's do it." And pretty like, much, oh, that shit. was the that was the frame of mind I was in. And even like when I started Byways about a year ago, I was still kind of in that because it started as a passion project. This isn't something you see on Kickstarter a whole lot. It was a it's a game about road trips. I've taken road trips. I decided to make a game based around that. And it turned out okay because I play tested it a lot, got the same guy to do art, all that kind of stuff. Um, I did it far more professionally than I ever did with Warco, cleaner process, but still kind of that passion project mindset too. Yeah. Now these days when I start, like when I start the next thing, I'm going to say, "What are people looking for?" And then I'm going to make that because <laughs> now I've 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 gone full corporate. I'm sorry, I've gone full corporate. <laughs> you got to fill that need. You got to, you got to, you know, get into right into that niche there. A, a little bit, but I mean, like, I feel like there is room for creativity, even when you're actually meeting what people want. Like you still get to pour your personality in the games. You still get to connect with people on a one-on-one basis and be creative and do things. It just helps to start with what are people looking for? Um, and then actually start doing that. That's what I'm going to do on the next project. Do you, do you have something in mind already that you're kind of working on or secrets? Oh, all right. No exclusives tonight. Secrets. Secrets. <laughs> I'm thinking nature theme, but still secrets. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's mm-hmm. fair. Um, how did the design process differ for highways and byways than, than for, uh, for Warco? So the design process was a lot easier and a lot faster. I was able to make it, I would say, in six months less time as far as design goes, because Warco was this wild uh, meandering path. But now I was like, I have a process. I know play tests it, you know, uh, iterate a version every time I change a rule, play test it this many times, take it to blind play testers at this time, get this much feedback, keep looking for these things. And then after all that, you know, send it to reviewers way, way easier when I actually, um, when I actually did that as far as, um, as far as actually how I, how I am approaching an audience, that's the part that, that, um, is different from Warco in a way that's not just a matter of speed and cleanliness. Like I, like, like at the time when I was making Warco, I didn't have the blog. I didn't have, um, I didn't have this discord server. I didn't have a lot of the things that I've slowly become known for over time. I've got an actual platform now and that makes it different. Right. Cause you could reach so many more people with that. Right. But here's the tricky thing. I'm not known for one thing anymore. I'm known for different things and byways is just one of them. So that's a new variable that I'm not used to dealing with yet. 
Right, right. But it, there's it's, ups and downs to all of this. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, social media is such a. It, we were talking, bef- you know, before we got on air, it's such a huge time investment. You have what, like, forty-seven Twitters that you're managing right now? <laughs> Three, but it may as well be forty-seven. I'm going <laughs> to cut back after this campaign. It's getting kind of out of hand. One personal, one company, and the company one hasn't been started, so that'll be a fresh thing. There you go. Now you got to go back and refollow everybody. <laughs> well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I am thinking of a. I am thinking of an elegant way of doing that. But ultimately, I think one for me, one for a company, and have you know byways and Morco direct to one of those two or both of those two. Elegant way to deal with it. Right, right. It, it, I'm talking long term. Right, right, right. And mm-hmm. what's the what's the reception been to you know like you said you have a Discord server now you've got the blog now you started in sixteen are, are you getting a, a nice response on that you know, are you pulling people in that were familiar with you from Worko or are you pulling from now a larger audience who's interested in either you know game design or board games or you know or some combination of the two? So here's where things get really weird. I have all my old Worko contacts, but a lot of them are not interested in the same things that i'm doing now the the dev blog and the discord totally new audiences um and they started to take off around the same time i started the blog in october 16 just as an experiment didn't know what to do next after warco frankly because i had already i'd done my childhood dream i'm like now what i do that it took me like seven eight months of of fooling around with that to finally find my voice and at the same time that i found my voice on there also started pushing that discord started reaching out to a bunch of people on social media and it and slowly over time it built up into a community of developers and creators who would just ask questions and hang out with each other and share advice and be generous a lot of that's a surprise a lot of that just kind of um organically happened and right. Is that is that related to Warco? No, it's a totally different thing. But Warco opened the door to do that. Sure. It's gotten to the point where the blog and the Discord have eclipsed my games, as far <laughs> as things that people know me for. Sure, sure. That, that's cool though. I, you yeah. know, because th- there is, you know, podcasting or or game design, whatever is is you know its own thing and its own reward but then to be able right. to, to function and move within that community and you know help other people like hey i did it ask me a question i i can tell you what i did wrong for sure so don't do this thing but let's have a conversation and kind of work through the process and and you know lift everybody up together i have to say i actually enjoy the community at the community management aspect more than i enjoy game design itself as in mechanics and playtesting, etc i like helping people do creative stuff more than i like actually creating the individual things now it could be because i've already done my childhood dream in a weird travel themed uh, you know passion project Right. I, I I don't know. I've 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 found lifting people up to be more satisfying than the actual childhood dream thing. Right. It's it, weird. It's it's you'd never think that it works like that, but it just kind of does. See, but like once you get into that mindset, right? Because there's so much negativity on TV, the news, and you know, even on the internet, like we have great communities that we deal with, but mm-hmm. you know, still there's all of that other stuff on the internet. It's yeah. so it's so taxing. So to be able to go in and make you know, a positive change, a positive mm-hmm. difference for people. Like, that's just awesome. I, I'm i glad it turned out the way it did because, you know, I, I wanted to set social norms early on in the server with a handful of people who were already active. I wanted to bring in the right kind of people, but the fact that it's turned out to be a place where people are so open and unpretentious and polite, that's not me. That's not me. That's just people being good to one another. Right, right. That's just a pleasant surprise. I think um, the internet has become this extremely emotional and kind of frightening place over the last couple of years. It doesn't have to be that way. You just have to give people a place where they have lots of opportunities to be good to one another, where it is easy and the default behavior to be good to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's awesome. That, that's a cool thing to be a part of. Oh, thank you. Yeah, awesome. Um, so I mean, we're going to get it talking to the game and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but, but 
in touching on Kickstarter uh, in and of itself, uh, what do you think the biggest difference is between a game that's, you know, and not necessarily like super successful, like, you know, come on games is going to make, you know, $4 million or whatever, but a game that's successful and a game that comes in and, you know, maybe has a similar theme, maybe has great mechanics, maybe has, you know, some really cool application, but it just, yeah, you know, it just doesn't mm-hmm. sort of hit that note. Where, where, where do you think the, the difference lies with, with some of that stuff? Two years ago, I would have said audience. And it, or, or maybe not two years ago, because I was still figuring things out. A year and a half ago, when I was doing Warco, I would have said audience. If you have a big enough audience, you can do weird ideas. Nowadays, I think audience is a critical part of it. But now I would say the biggest one is product market fit. And that's like a really complicated concept. But the simple idea is that you want to make something that is very, very specifically made for a specific group of people. You can have a great game that's not a great product. You can have a great product that doesn't find the right market. You want you want whatever you're doing to be bespoke for a particular kind of person. In this case, the kind of people who frequent Kickstarter. Right. And I think that has actually... I think the kind of products that get pushed up on Kickstarter has even dramatically changed in the last year, like while I have been developing this. Right. And and then Kickstarter is like a weird, you know, it's a weird beast in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, you know, guys like you who are, you know, working at this, uh, you know, part, you have a full-time job, you know, you're designing mm-hmm. part-time, you know, trying to get in there and get some games and you've got, you know, cool many or not where we're, yeah, this is like our pre-order system. Like we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. We just want to say how much, you know, how many we're going to print and how much money we're going to make so that you know it's a very weird dichotomy as far as you know when you go into the game section and you know begin to look around and, and maybe not in other sections but like in our little universe for sure mm-hmm. what i what i'm finding is that maybe cmon and, and and other large companies who go there with actually really big projects i'm I'm wondering if that really does squash out the indies. A lot of people would intuitively think that to be the case, but I'm not so sure. I think it may even bring more people to Kickstarter. It may even bring credibility to it. I think if anything is going to squash the indies out, it's going to be, it depends on what the particular taste is at the moment, what is hot on Kickstarter at the moment. And that changes at a pace which a large company with a backlog can cope with. A small company who can only crank out a a game every year or so, different story entirely. I'm thinking that um that like one one way that small publishers can work around that is they can just have a, a group of people to work with instead of soloing it. I, I'm actually thinking that that is the direction most people should generally be headed is is start working in groups of three or four or five instead of one or two. Right. Well, you, you look at the you look at something like say Fire in the Library. That's a five person team that blew up big. That's that's not a particularly old company, but that it's like two years old. Um, I think that's part of it. They've got enough resources to be able to crank out a game that's particular for the taste of that moment and, and actually get a lot of people. So it, it's kind of a mix of product market fit and moving fast enough to get to that product market fit. Yeah, and this is this is a Russian nesting doll of things. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think like whatever the like the current hotness is has any uh, bearing or any any push on Twitter? Like you know, Azul is huge right now. Uh, like yeah. and, and you know, for, like for me, like I see things come across Twitter and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it looks cool. I don't like. I'll play anything. Like I don't right. care. Like give me a game, I'll play it. I may not like it. I might not play it again. I'm like, sure, give it to me and let me try it. So a guy at work brought it in and we've been we've been playing the shit out of Azul. And I'm like, yeah, this is really cool. Like I I see what the hype is about. So mm-hmm. do you think now in, in six months or next year we see those types of games maybe that come to Kickstarter as people see like, oh, that was really good. Like you're talking about trying to fit a market, be like, oh, what can I do that's, you know, adjacent to, but doesn't seem like I'm now, you know doing the same thing honestly i i feel like yeah a big enough game can change people's tastes you take something like scythe and that can push people into steampunk you take something like azul and that can push people into 
I'm not really sure how you describe Azul, come to think of it. It's kind of a tough game to describe. Abstract. I mean, I think yeah, it, yeah, it can push people into that. It can, it can make abstract strategy look really, really popular for a moment. Now, do I have data on this? No, I'm working on getting that, though. That's going to be a pet project of mine later. Nice. Um, yeah, a big enough game can definitely change people's tastes, but I think the best way to approach it is think of it like this. Board games are a place where you can get a lot of money or because the industry is getting big or it can be perceived as that, like whether or not you can actually make a lot of money on that, that depends on how you do it and a lot of other factors, but it's a, it's got a lot of money in it. It's a creative industry. There are standards, but it's still kind of growing really quickly. And there, there are some people like um, big publishers and fulfillment companies that hold tons and tons and tons of sway. This reminds me a lot of like how the music industry worked in the 60s. I think that's your closest analogy. And how that worked is you would just play to taste. People heard the Beatles and then all of a sudden they wanted to do that Britpop kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And you just you followed the tastes of the moment. Right. And it's easy to make money that way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's <laughs> listen to the radio. And as soon as something is popular, you're going to hear 12 things that sound just like it. So it's the same yeah. thing all day. Yeah. And it's kind of derivative. I, I feel like the people who who really actually break through, uh, b- break through that mold and do something original are the ones who analyze, well, what is it that made these 12 songs popular anyway? What was it that people were looking for? And they just get at that in a different way. It takes a very special kind of someone or luck to do that. One of those two. Yeah. To be the trendsetter. Right. Usually that one's luck. You hit just the right sort of thing at the right time. and Yeah. And nobody likes to admit the role that luck will play in success sometimes. But yeah, every once in a while you will roll a six and every once in a while you will roll a one. And that is life. That's just how that goes. Mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's why persistence is really important win or fail if you keep getting up if you keep playing the odds will eventually be in your favor it just evens out that way right and and it's and it's not necessarily you know you say fail uh but if you if you take something out of it, like say you get back up and you say okay well, what i do you mm-hmm. know you try it again you you know nose to the grindstone you know i don't know the, you know maybe it's a matter of semantics but then, like, you know, I, I wouldn't categorize that as a fail, right? So if you try something like Warco first time, I put it on, it didn't go, I'm going to do it again. So you right. build on that, you learn from that, you move forward, mm-hmm. you know, so it just becomes a stepping stone more than a failure. As know? the politicians call it, pivot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it, it's pretty much like when you when you have something that you would consider a failure, it's just an opportunity to say, what did I do wrong? What can I do different? And if you did nothing wrong, if it is if it was truly an environmental thing, you can just try a different environment yeah. or just try the same thing again. It depends. It depends on what happens. Yeah, timing could have been off or something like that. Mm-hmm. You don't want to you want to drop your Kickstarter like going into the Christmas season, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's part of it. Although I would call that one a rookie mistake simply because that is totally avoidable. Sure. Um, yeah, you don't you don't want to start a Kickstarter in December because goodness, if you don't know what you're doing with your financial statements, you can get into so much hot water for doing something like that because inventory is an asset and that's taxable. It is big mess, big mess. Right, right. Take it from the pro. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did have to pay a, a substantial tax bill on Warco come the next year because inventory was taxable. Did it hurt me that bad? No, I actually still turned a small profit on that project. But what actually, but like it caught me off guard. I was like, oh my God, I owe 1200 bucks. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, it happens every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you have a particular style of game yourself that you enjoy more than others? I am a weirdo in the sense that I will not follow every single game like as it comes out. What gets played on my table is the stuff that I can play with the people around my house, with the people I love. Um, You know, like I'll play games with my brother and I'll get him to play Pandemic or something or, 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 or something like a gateway that a lot of people will play. My girlfriend's a big fan of Splendor. Stuff like that'll get played. I like Twilight Struggle too. When I I play that on Steam, I got a 
of all people, not even a board gamer, just a history buff. Like I, I taught a history buff friend how to play that, and he likes playing that because he's into the theme. I'm just into whatever I can play with people um, around me because that's more important to me than the actual game mechanics. Sure. Which I, I've played, I played hundreds of games at gaming stores because I'm just like, you know, I want to try that one or or whatever gets on the table or whatever's at the meetup group or something like that. But what gets played at my at my home is just what people around me want to play. Right. And if I think a lot of people are in the same boat, right? Like if you're not doing a meetup group, if you're not playing, you know, at the store, you're going to get an opportunity to maybe try, you know, either some of the new stuff or some of the old stuff. It's, you know, what are people comfortable with? We, we play a ton of Splendor too. I love Splendor. It's a really good game. It's got a lot of depth to it. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's that exponential nature, right? Like you're just going and yeah. you're taking cards and you look, oh, fuck, you've got 13 points? What the hell? I've got yeah, two. It, it escalates so quickly because it yeah. seems not very much like a savage game. And then all of a sudden somebody's got 13 points and you're trying to grab everything out of their way that is, is potentially beneficial to them. Yeah, oh, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good game. It's a really good game. Pandemic is also similarly good. I Because it's like, that's a game that every time you play it, something new will come out of it. You start to understand there is a really clever statistical engine just buried way deep into that theme that isn't immediately apparent but you know it intuitively you're like uh, you know red's looking kind of kind of bad over there and uh, what's red territory on pandemic like jakarta <laughs> i don't remember yeah like uh hong kong yeah like that whole area over there yeah i want to i, I want to say that's like jakarta sydney hong kong um probably osaka Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably that general region. Yeah, I, I've played a couple of times. I've, I've never finished the game, but I haven't lost the game either. So I'm kind of like in that. Well, it's still kind of cool because we haven't like lost 15 times in a row. Yeah, well, I've been wrapped on the knuckles quite a few times by pandemic. <laughs> it is really hard to win with more than five epidemic cards. And I feel like we should all just admit it to ourselves that it is actually that hard to win with more than five <laughs> epidemic cards. Now, do you feel a game like that suffers from uh, the mentality, not the mentality, but, you know, that, that um, uh, I can't think of how I want to phrase it, but, but the person who plays all the time sort of, you know, taking the lead and like, oh, no, no, uh, you got that card. You should do this. You should do that. And then I'll do this. Like, it's cooperative. So you want to have mm-hmm. certainly have that element. But do you feel like like that style and I get, and there's some other games that are the same way that someone who plays all the time just sort of runs the table. Yeah. I mean, like you can get that problem with any co-op game and that's not pandemic's fault or any co-op games fault. It's just like, yeah, every once in a while you will have a player who will take charge and no one will tell them not to do that. And they won't know that they're doing it. Yeah. Games can absolutely suffer from that as a game desired. There some things you can do to try and discourage that, but they're not particularly strong things. Like you can say in the rules, now don't, you know, run the whole show without asking people what they want to do or make sure that they, you know, choose to make a move. You can advise them all you want, but they have to make the decision. You can say stuff like that, but I mean, board gamers will follow like half the rules anyway. (laughs) That's why you have to speak in symbolism. That's just good game design. Right. And, and and just to follow up on the heels of that, is that a problem? I mean, if if someone is intrinsically familiar with with what's happening, you know, hey, we like collectively we want to beat this thing. Right. Yes. Tell me what to do because I'm not sure. Like I was going to do this. Is this good? Hmm? <laughs> it really comes down to the social dynamics of the group. I like I know that's such a cop out answer, but that's the one I've got for you. All right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we've got Seth Jaffe in the chat tonight. Uh, so, well, hey, I, Seth. Thanks. thanks can for I see in. the chat? Is that something I can actually pull up? Uh, if you go. Oh, my goodness. My mind YouTube is blown. Yeah. If you go to the YouTube page, you can like I have you live. I have the thing live on my other computer. <laughs> so I have huh. the chat up on one side and, and I just have the hangout on the other computer. Well, no but, kidding. But Seth said, uh, Seth said uh, he, he feels like uh, people lump two types of games together as cooperative, collaborative games, and committee games. And, and maybe Pandemic then is maybe uh, more of a committee game, although I don't want to put words in, uh, in Seth's mouth. But um, 
you know. I, I would I would say pandemic is more like committee because you're just like, mm, you know, should we should we prioritize cleaning up this area? Should we prioritize getting closer together so we can pass cards and make a, a cure? Should we prioritize um, setting up a research station stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I hit the nail on the head. So <laughs> he's a that's a committee game. Um, and, and uh, I'll just elaborate now we have, I, we should get Seth, Seth in the chat. I should send him an invite. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's fine. It's like, if you know that that's the game style, then that's great. If you're, mm -hmm. you know, sitting down thinking that there's something else happening, then, you know, maybe that's where the disconnect is like, Oh, you know, we're going <laughs> to, okay. <laughs> so I, I feel like there's, an interesting thing I'm, I've observed is that you take a bad play group and they can make an amazing game terrible. You take a good play group and they can make a bad game fun. You can have fun playing Monopoly. You just have to do it with cool people. Right. And you can have a miserable time playing, you know, what's like the best game? What's like the best game to bring around people? Uh, something simple. Jeez, I would say Splendor, but maybe Harvest by Tasty Minstrel. Or, or game. like Code Names or something. You can have a miserable time playing Code Names if everybody you're playing with is just unkind. Yeah, yeah. See, like we play a lot of games. I don't do a lot of uh, like you know hidden role things. We do, we don't do a lot of like bluffing and stuff because we play you know like Eminent Domain by Seth Jaffe, um, and mm -hmm. it's just, we go cutthroat, like hardcore cutthroat, like even with the Zool, <laughs> like we played the first time, and I'm like, okay, I understand it. Next game, bam, you know, oh, you want that piece? That's mine. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> uh, like, that's it's always interesting, because like, you can make a game a perfectly friendly game, and somebody will turn it into take that somehow. That's our, that's our go-to our go-to play style. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just cutting other people down. It's interesting to watch people um, do that in games where take that is discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't do those. Then. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, but like, but we all know it, right? So like everybody is mm -hmm. in for it. It's not a surprise. You're like, Oh, I'm going to reserve that card. You need to, you know, to mm -hmm. do the thing that you want to do because you're the only one that can take it. I'm just, that's out of the game now. You know, forget it. <laughs> uh, oh, well. All right, let, let's get back on track. Uh, so uh, yeah, sure. James Messino is uh, is uh, back on board again for the art. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's right. Same guy. Very same guy. And I told him, I'm like, okay, we're not going to do a sci-fi game this time. We're going to do one that looks like old American style postcards. I was going to say the cover looks just like, you know, a welcome to Florida or, you know, yep. welcome to Arizona, I guess maybe more because it's like a desert setting. Right out of the, uh, right out of the like early 1970s, late 1960s. What I told him was just run with the golden age of travel and see what you can do. Right. I gave him a, a couple of pictures and some postcards I liked. And he's like, I got this. <laughs> let him run with it you know gave him gave him some some lean specs to, and just like he has this uncanny ability to just read my mind on this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and that's how, and that's how that came to be that's awesome and, and that's mm -hmm. i mean that's great for you right as a publisher because you're not like well i kind of like but if you could change like these things like right. if you guys have that sort of you know, like he's in your head. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I feel like there is a really specific art to getting art out of artists in the sense that um, you want to give them creative freedom because artists love creative freedom. Any creative person, artist, game designer, whatever, they want to be able to express themselves in what they do. But if you give them guidelines and you say, this is the actual use case, like this is how this is going to be used in real life. Uh, these are the themes I want to express. These are the technical specs. You front load all that and you get a good artist, they can run with it. Could be James, could be anybody else. Like there is a specific art to getting the best work out of people. And I think it's a repeatable process. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I mean his art on on Warco was amazing. I mean those yeah, those which James are beautiful. is special. Don't get me wrong; he is absolutely special for being able to pull off what he has. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, I, so we should probably get into the nuts and bolts, right? So let's let's talk yeah, about sure. highways and byways. So uh, we're a two to four player mm -hmm. game. We're about forty five minutes to an hour to play. That's uh, right. What, what, why don't you give us the the rundown? What are what are we looking at? 
Actually, you know, let me see if I can just get this out of the box in a way that will show up on camera. Ooh, all right. The whole idea of the game is that it's a race. You want to be able to travel all of your specific byways before anyone else and circle back to your home. This is a fairly big board for the box, so just give me a moment. This is going to it's going to be tough with a webcam. Oh, there we go. That wasn't well, that bad. Out, right? Yeah, does that work? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Because somebody's like Discord notification just came up over my camera, so I couldn't actually see it. <laughs> anyway, that's what it looks like. If you can't see that that well on your end, or if you're just listening but not watching, imagine kind of like a postcard-style ticket to ride, and that will get you 50% of the way there on looks anyway. Right. Um, what, what you do... What you do early on, you will get to select byways through like a kind of light form of drafting where you will pick one, pass one. You pick a byway that's conveniently located, like it's close to you or some other ones that you want to travel, and you pass the one you don't want to the next person over, the clockwise person. They pick up another one from the deck, pick one, pass one, pick one, pass one, until everybody has 12 byways. You're allowed to drop up to... I'm going to simplify a little bit. You can drop up to two ones that are inconvenient roads that you don't want to travel. And all the other ones, you have to do a big circle, get back to your home before anyone else. Everybody gets a vehicle. And I'm going to pull these out of the box, too. Each vehicle has special abilities. Um, So basically, think variable player powers. If you're looking for BGG terms right there. (laughs) Each one is a beater car. Each one is a beater car, and each one has a special ability. Some of them have hand management powers. Some of them are immune to negative things. Some of them move a little faster under certain conditions, and so on. I hope that showed up okay on the camera. Yep, looks good. Okay. So pretty much you'll pick your vehicle, you'll pick your home, you'll pick your byways. And then through the rest of the game, what will happen is you will systematically travel around the board to clear those off. But it's not quite that simple. During the game, you will hold on to a hand of five event cards. The player clockwise of you will draw one out of your hand, and whatever's on that card will happen to you. And it's a random draw, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a random draw. It could be good, it could be bad. And then once you, you run with the effect of that card, you have a choice. Do you move up to six spaces, or do you trade in every one of those six you don't move for the ability to discard a card you do not like? and then draw the top one off the deck. So you can move like six spaces, or you can move four, discard two cards you don't like, and draw two other ones. You can choose whether to just basically move really fast on the board, or to make your hand better as you go along, to make your luck better, so that you will be able to move faster. You have to balance between just a really simple strategy and hand management. And that's very personal, and that also links into what you've got with your vehicle and your situation. Right. Um, let me think. And the other two big things are you've got construction, which shuts down certain fast roads every turn. So like one in five of what's called highways on the board, white spaces will be shut down because they have a letter that is on a construction card. So like if you have a construction card that says C, you can't go on roads that have a C on it. If it's a D, you can't go on ones that have a D on it. Fairly straightforward. And then the last thing is, once all those five construction cards are played out, only one is in effect at a time. You don't get all five shut down at once. Once all five are played out, you finish out the round, and you swap your event hands clockwise. So everything that you had in your hand that you were maybe making better over time ends up getting passed to the person next to you. Hmm. And so you're always, you've always got this little bit of a head game. How good do I make my hand? Because I am going to eventually lose it. That's the game. That's the whole game. Like there's there's stuff on event cards that has more complexity to it, but that is the core engine of the game. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Did you see? So like, you know, it, it, to go back to Splendor in a game like Splendor, there's not a lot of player interaction, right? You're mm-hmm. you're just you're drafting cards. You're you're taking tokens. You know, like our games have a ton of trash talking. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the mechanics don't lend itself to that. So. When right. you were designing highways and byways, did you look at something like that and say, I want to facilitate more, you know, player dynamics and player interaction by, you know, including a mechanism where I'm going to draw two and pass one? 
a very early version of the game did not have it did not have player interaction at all it didn't have event cards you didn't pass them and you didn't have um when you were drafting it was a more complicated version of drafting that didn't really affect your opponent all that much. You picked one of four that was on the board, and then the one you picked was replaced. It was a big mess. It was complicated. It was too big for a family <laughs> game. Um, this is why you play test, right? Right. Like, we, I used to call it multiplayer solitaire. I wish I'd made that up. I didn't make that up. But basically, multiplayer solitaire because you never interacted with people. So the first thing I did was, you know, add these event cards because I needed something like that to make it to where you weren't just traveling on our own. And then I was like, well, what's the easiest way to actually make people interact? Physical touch. And that's how the event cards were drawn, because you actually have to physically reach over and draw a card from some people. And most people, they don't, they don't consciously know it, but they can feel like an actual connection when, when somebody's looking you in the eyes and they're trying to gauge whether you're, you're picking yeah. a good card or a bad card. Um, player that's how i added a bunch of player interaction okay cool and uh seth is asking uh how long you've been working on highways and byways and it's been a little a little over a year yeah just about it's been about a year it was nine months development and it's been three months of uh hardcore marketing although i i have detailed the entire process from start to finish on byways on the blog. Like I've written dev diaries every single week and a lot of them have to do with the game. Right. And and there's links to the blog and, and all the other stuff in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. people are interested in, in checking out the process and finding out, you know, mm-hmm. more about, you know, your style of development and stuff like that, they can find that in the links below. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so when you play event cards, is it so if I pull one of your event cards, does that affect only you or does that affect the whole table? It affects only you, except in the sense that, um, you know, sometimes something will get removed from play and it will make the deck a little bit different for others. There is one card that's a notable exception. It's called Change of Plans and everybody passes one card counterclockwise. <laughs> Otherwise, the event card only affects you. Okay, interesting. Um, and, and because of like, I know for my cell play, so like, say I have my home in, in the yellow section in like the, you know, North Dakota, you know, upper Midwest area. Um, you know, if, if I have, you know, obviously you want to try play cards that are closer to yourself, but like, I'm, you know, I'm the guy to be like, oh, you know, here's Florida to the guy who's in, you know, Maine or in California or whatever. Like, is that, is that a a design or a a bug or a feature? That's a, that's a feature actually, because I want you to be able to make a decision. Do I pick what's best for me or do I screw over my opponent? And you can never totally do it. You can just try to make it worse for them. Right. Right. Now, mm-hmm. what happens if you, uh, you know, do we get into situations where, you know, as you're drafting cards and you've got your, you know, your two reds and your 10 blues um, and you can get rid of two, two of your byways, right? So before the game starts, you have the option to uh, remove two of your um, little byway tokens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so if, if you have things that are disconnected, right? So like, say I'm in that yellow section in the upper, you know, upper Midwest, but I've got, you know, Florida, I've got, you know, the area around Oregon, you're, are you literally being, you know, having to take the white roads and everything all the way around the whole, like the entire map, essentially then? You don't have to, like what will happen is the, when it is designed in such a way where like 98, 99% of the time it will cluster in four or five regions mm-hmm. and it v- will very seldom be less, less than, um, less than that. It will be very seldom more. Like if you get, let's say you've got some up in the upper Midwest, you've got some in the Northwest, got some in the Northeast. Let's say you've got some in every section. You can usually drop the ones that are most problematic. Like you could just drop the West coast and you'd sure. say, I got to go to Florida and Maine, but I don't have to go out West. So this route is not that bad. And that's what you'll actually see a lot of the time. And I tested this over and over and over and over and over again to actually uh, account for that possibility. Cause that is one of the things that scared me most designing this. It's just the possibility of one person getting a really easy route and another person getting a really hard route and saying, this game sucks. It was chosen from the beginning. 
Like I actually, I did over a hundred games just to, of the final version, just to catch problems like that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, when you're, when you're play testing, so like, uh, you know, our friends of the show, uh, you know, think 12 games, uh, you know, Sean Epperson, he's up in, up in the mm-hmm. Seattle area and, you know, they have uh, play test Northwest. So they have, you know, a group specifically, you know, to play test and for designers to bring games. Is there anything in your area or do you wind up, um, you know, play testing at, at your, your local game store or, you know, you have like a meetup group. Like how do you go about your process as far as getting all your play testing in? Game stores are a part of it because you've got, cause local connections help. But the biggest parts for me are family and friends early on. It, well, self-test before I even like, it's got to finish before I ever share it. Sure. Sure. So I don't waste anybody's time. Friends and family next. Then I will hit up my Discord server because I can play it on tabletop sim with people outside of America for whom English is their second language. So I get a mix of designers, regular old gamers, stuff like that. People have various levels of experience. Once I do that, then I'll put it online and I will let people blind play test it and then send a feedback form to me. Tabletop Sim makes that happen. I've also gone to Proto Spill Atlanta, which is a place where a whole bunch of designers get together and play test each other's games. And that was a big part of it too, because designers play test differently than regular old gamers. Sure. Then yeah, after sure. doing that, I return, I basically do all these other things until I feel good about it. Once I feel like I've got a final product, I run through it with anybody I can find about a hundred times just to get the statistics Sure. Just, you know, like, because law of large numbers, you have to be able to test it enough times to make sure that you don't have a terrible experience three or four out of a hundred times. You have to be able to work around that, too. Yeah, to catch us weird. That seems, if that seems like a giant process with a lot of loops in it, it's because it is. It's a big, long, complicated process. Right. Yeah, and you, you've, got, you've got to catch those weird ed cases weird edge cases where you're like, Oh, I've got this really weird combination. Like how statistically, mm-hmm. you know, is this going to come up, you know, every 10th play is this going to come out of right. you know, whatever. Yeah. My rule is never leave anything in there that will break the game. Obviously. I mean, you never want to break the game, but if something just feels terrible and it's not super, super rare, I will say I have to fix that. Now, every once in a while, I'll find an accident in there that I really like, like um, the car rust bucket, a rusty truck. Um, that they, like that thing can move three extra spaces every five turns. There's also a card that will let you essentially not count highway spaces against your movement limit of six. So if you're out west, niche case, and you're in the rust bucket on a construction turn, so you've got you know, one in three chance you're out West one in six chance you're driving the rust bucket one in five chance that you have the like one in five chance that you, that you're actually using its power. And then you draw the specific card all, all totaled like one in a hundred. Then that car will be able to like jump over half the map at once. But to me, I'm like, you know, that's actually really interesting. That makes kind of almost a strategic play to that car. You can't hear that hair dryer, can you? I'm going to have to edit this no, out. My kids blow drying her hair. I'm like, she's a recording. What are you doing right now? World's loudest uh, hair dryer? I actually didn't hear it. I didn't hear anything. Okay. Well, that's good. All right. I'll have to go back and edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's my go-to. Um, yeah. That's you- what I tell people when I'm tired and rambly on a show. I'm just like... Um, Edit it and make me sound smart, please. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you get any um, any convention ex- uh, experience in? Do you uh, try to get some of your local cons in? Because does that provide a different dynamic as far as like playtesting and stuff goes? The occasional local con I will do for playtesting. And, and I'll tell you right now, I'm like, I can't do big cons. I can't do them, not because, you know, I, I don't like the concept or something. It's just because I can't take a week off work. I can't just travel anywhere I like, and I can't drop thousands of bucks or even hundreds of dollars on a con. 
Sure. Or I'm not willing to. I mean, like, really, what's the difference at a point? But, yeah. like, local cons, local cons, you can get in for $50, get a hotel in Atlanta, stay two nights, you'll get a really good experience. You'll get tons of insight, you'll meet a lot of people, and you'll get a lot of the same benefit, and you won't have to compete with the big names. You'll just go, have a good time, and get a lot of insight. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're like, well, what about actually meeting people? You can also generate a lot of leads online and it may even be more effective to do that than to get a whole bunch of people to like sign up for your email at a con. Yeah. Jury's still out on that. If somebody disagrees, I'd actually love to hear that. <laughs> hey, mailing list, email list. That's huge. Right. I mean, you gotta. Absolutely. Yeah. Press the flash and cards, you know, you're selling your soul to get a little piece of, uh, you know, potential return. That's a lot of the engine of my blog. The first thing that was driving traffic on a regular basis was emails. And that helped me get enough traffic to get other stuff going on to eventually get listed in Google, which is now bringing in the most traffic. Like email is a really good way to kick that off. And also if you have the right product, it's a really good way to get funds on Kickstarter, but you have to have like the perfect product for that audience in order for an emailer to, to really do what it's supposed to do. But that's, that's getting into a tangent, I suppose. Which I do when I'm tired, actually. I do that a lot when I'm tired. All right. Well, I've, well, I've started to wind things down then, I guess. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, you know, on the Kickstarter, you're essentially done, right? The game's done. The art's done. Everything's ready to go. We're just ready to, like, fund this thing and, and get it printed and shipped, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, um, if it funds, I will take some a little bit of feedback that that I've gotten from reviews to improve a few things, fix up the print files, and then send them right off. That's the plan uh, when, if it funds. Okay. And and we're, uh, it's been a week you've been on, a couple of days? Monday. I actually launched it on Monday. Monday. Okay. So mm-hmm. we're, we're still in the first week. So uh, still got plenty of time to go. People can get in on this. That's right. 49 bucks shipping is free in the U.S., right? That's right. And it's $5 to Europe and Canada, $10 to Australia, 15 anywhere else in the world. And that is customs free US, Canada, EU, and Australia. Nice. All right. So it looks, looks like almost 30% funded so far. Just about. Yeah, just about. We're getting really close to 30%. It's been about uh, just about, it's the fourth day that the campaign's been up. Right, right. So not too bad. A little bit of a slow burn. That's all right. But that's why we're doing this, right? A little bit. Yeah, it's like, we're just going to see what happens with this. Because either way, I've got a plan for what to do after this. But I've I've still got a few tricks up my sleeve. We're going to see what happens in the next week or two. Okay. And, and you know, if you're into point-to-point movement, hand management, variable playing powers, card drafting, like if any of these types of mechanics or, or things that, you know, are in your wheelhouse as a, as a board game player, come in, check it out, take a look. There's videos, there's playthroughs, look at the reviews. Uh, it, it looks pretty. Uh, you know, James's art is is really good. The the card cards are, you know, I'm old. So some of the cars are like, wow, I know somebody who had that or <laughs> we had a station wagon that looked like that. So, mm-hmm. You know, that is definitely. Uh, uh, Seth, yeah, we Seth, had a lot of fun. We wanted to go nostalgic with it. Yeah. And like, this is my nostalgia, too. I mean, this stuff is not too distant either. No, not too distant. I got a couple of years on you, though. <laughs> uh, Seth says, uh, good luck with the Kickstarter project. So thumbs up from Seth. Well, thank you very much, Seth. I really appreciate it. I can't actually see chat right now, so I'm just uh, taking your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> I made it all up. <laughs> I didn't. You're just you like talking to nobody. There's just like nobody on there. <laughs> um, so have you gotten the obligatory... You know, how does this differ from, you know, Ticket to Ride or, or you know, sell me your 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 game if, I you know, I like this, which should be an easy mm-hmm. sell, right? Like, I like Ticket to Ride. This looks similar. I want to play it. It has similar elements. I should probably enjoy it, right? Yeah, like, um, the thing with Ticket to Ride is I say I use Ticket to Ride as a visual inspiration because I like the way that they lay out geographical data mechanics are totally different. And that's usually enough for people to be like, Oh yeah. How so? And then I get into the rules explanation. They say, yeah, actually that is pretty different. And like, 
completely changes the tone of that conversation from there. As far as a pitch line, what I'll do is I'll say, this is a game you can put on the table with gamers, but it's also something you can bring to your family, to your kids, to college students, or to anybody who you're trying to get into board gaming. That's usually the direction I go with it. I'll tell them mechanics if they're a gamer, tell them a little bit more like that, make comparisons where I can. If it's just somebody who hasn't played a lot of board games, I'll be like, this is a board game about road trips, and it's not that hard to pick up. Would you like to try it? Right, right. Th- this could be the new gateway game that people are talking about in another year, right? Like this, this could be yeah, like that's the what new I'm for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to make a gateway game. That's what I was shooting for about a year ago. Yeah, and I think it does that. Like you know, a a ten minute, you know, hey, read through the book. This is going to take you about ten or fifteen mm-hmm. minutes to learn it, and you're off and running. Like that's mm-hmm. definitely a plus for most people. You know, you you know, pull out some rule books, and you're like. Ah, uh, flip, flip. Ah, uh, fuck it. Let's we'll we'll figure it out. You know, right, like you just get awfully tired of it. I teach people as we go. I'll tell them the objective. I'll uh, I'll just jump right into the to the early drafting, the planning stage, and then I'll and then I'll explain the driving stage, the rest of the game as we get to that point. Because honestly, not a whole lot of explanation goes into it. A lot of the stuff you just gradually um, you pick up through playing. Or you just kind of get, because I'm using a lot of metaphor there, because they're like, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense that that car would do that. Or it kind of makes sense that this particular event card would do that based on the picture. Sure, sure. And and that's what, you know, when it, it's always easier to learn a game from so not only the designer, like, mm-hmm. I guess that's optimal, right? Well, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. You know, someone someone who pl- has played and, and has some insight into it, you know, because as you get in and manipulate the pieces and the parts and, you you know, you're drawing cards mm-hmm. and passing cards, like it becomes much easier to, mm-hmm. to understand the mechanic as opposed to reading it. Exactly. Like, I'm notoriously bad with rules. You know, like it'll I mean, say, they're, they're hard to read. It's hard to sit down and read the rules. And sometimes it's like, well, it doesn't say this thing explicitly. So I don't know, maybe we can do, you know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. so let me go to YouTube. So like YouTube is my go-to to be like, okay, you know, give me a quick playthrough on this game. And they're like, okay, now I get it. Or, you know, we'll just play it mm-hmm. enough to be like, oh, oh, that makes sense. Oh, I see what's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's definitely cool. All right. Well, I, I guess we, we don't want to get too rambly. So I, I guess we'll, uh, <laughs> We can start to wind this up. There's there's links in the show notes for all the stuff. Obviously, the Kickstarter uh, link for the blogs for Pangea Games, mm-hmm. Twitters, and all that stuff. So please mm-hmm. check that out. Check out the Kickstarter. Uh, f- you know, less than fifty bucks is going to get you a brand new board game. You know, two to four players. There it is. I'm gonna highlight that in the thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, please check it out. Brandon's a cool guy. You know, he's been on before. You know, he's. Got some good games going, so uh, we we hope that you uh, check that out and, and push that ever higher up towards that hundred percent mark, so uh, you mm-hmm. get this funded and shipped out to you. Every single dollar is a gift, and I really appreciate it. And even even social media boosts help too. Yep, the the retweets and the hey, check this out on on the Kickstarter mm-hmm. right now. All that stuff is yeah, super that helps helpful. A lot. Friendly yeah. comments and messages too. I mean, like all of that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in, in design, if you're interested in, in uh, Brandon's process, obviously check out the blog. Uh, you jump on the Discord server, see what people are talking about. Maybe you find out about some cool new games or, you know, just stuff mm-hmm. that people are working on or, you know, maybe things that you haven't heard of. Cool. Yeah, I think that covers everything. I do like a billion things now. <laughs> I think you got them all. I think you got them. <laughs> well, if I've missed anything, let me know. I could go back and add that mm-hmm. to the show notes. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, it was definitely good to uh, to have you on again. I know you've you've had a lot, you've moved, at, you know, after the thing, you've you know, another Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. You got a lot of different things going on. So uh, yeah, I've, I've got a house now. That's awesome. Congratulations. House now. Yeah. <laughs> more. Well, thank you very much for having me on. No, absolutely. Uh, you've got more room to play board games now. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's not much bigger than my apartment, but it's a lot less landlord than my apartment. Hey, there you go. And you don't have anybody banging on the walls or on the floor. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And I have a garage, which helps too. Hey, there you go. That's where all those board games are going to go. You're doing fulfillment. (laughs) Yeah. Once I run out of shelf space in the closet. Yeah. (laughs) It's inevitable. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I, I went, you know, again, thanks for, for coming on. We're, uh, you know, glad to, to talk to you and help, help to promote the Kickstarter and, you know, spread the word and, and hopefully drive people over there to check that out. So, uh, thumbs up. Well, thank you very much. Cool. Awesome. And thank you all for watching and listening too. Yep. Well, thank everybody for checking this out. Again, we've got coffee for sale. You can check that out. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, you know, obviously likes, comments, subscribes, uh, you know, positive reviews, eh, maybe negative reviews. I don't know if you hate it. Maybe post that you hate it. I don't know how any of the uh, analytical stuff the giant works on YouTube. Down. Yeah, well, I don't giant, like maybe a little, little thumbs down, maybe. But uh, like yeah, a little, like a little. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah all that stuff obviously helps us out tremendously uh you know retweets and, and all those things obviously you know all this stuff you, this is not anybody's first radio here but uh mm -hmm. we do appreciate you checking it out uh, thanks again to, to seth for jumping in the chat that was a a, a, a surprise for me it was pretty cool mm -hmm. and uh we'll catch you all next time and see you all later this podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.